Book 8, Chapter 3 of A Class Book of Old Testament History by G. F. McClear. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cliff Stone of Sydney, Australia. A Class Book of Old Testament History by G. F. McClear. Book 8, Chapter 3. Election of the First King, 1 Samuel chapter 9, B.C. 1095. The elders of Israel had not long to wait for the king they so earnestly desired. Shortly after Samuel's return to Ramah, he received divine intimation that on the morrow one would be sent him, whom he was to anoint to be captain over the Lord's people. Accordingly, the next day, as he was on his way to the high place to give his benediction at a sacrificial feast, he met two wayfaring men. One was a man of Benjamin, Saul, the son of Kish, of a noble and handsome man and gigantic stature, from his shoulders and upward higher than any of the people. The other was his servant. In quest of the asses of Saul's father, which had strayed, the two had been traversing without success the central region of Palestine, and now guided by certain maidens of Ramah, whom they had met at the entrance of the place going out to draw water, they had resolved to ask the advice of Samuel. The prophet had already noticed the tall, handsome stranger, and as he drew near, the divine voice assured him that he was the destined ruler of his people. 1 Samuel 9 verses 15 and 16 when, therefore, Saul inquired for the seer's house, Samuel not only declared that he was the person he sought, but revealed his mysterious acquaintance with the secret of his three days' journey, and bade him lay aside all further anxiety, for the asses were found. Then, turning to Saul, he added in yet more mysterious words, On whom is the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee and all thy father's house? Marvelling at the import of this significant question addressed to one who belonged to the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and whose family was the least of all the families of Benjamin, 1 Samuel 9 verse 21, Saul followed the prophet to the high place, where with his servant he was made to sit in the chiefest place among the thirty guests assembled at the sacrificial feast, and to partake of a special portion which had been reserved for him. Thence he returned to the town, and in the evening held further conversation with Samuel on the housetop of his dwelling. Next morning, at daybreak, Samuel roused his guest and accompanied him some little way to the end of the town. There the servant was bidden to pass on, and the two being left alone, the prophet taking a phial of oil poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, and assured him of his election to be the first king of Israel. To this assurance, he added prophetic intimations of incidents that would occur on Saul's return homewards, and which could not fail still further to confirm him in the conviction that his sudden elevation was indeed of the Lord. Two men would meet him at Rachel's sepulchre and inform him that the asses were found, and that his father's anxieties now centred on himself at the plain, or rather the oak of Tabor, 1 Samuel 10 and verse 3. He would meet three men going to Bethel carrying gifts of kids, bread, and a skin bottle of wine. They would salute him and offer him two loaves of bread, which he was to receive at their hand. Then thirdly, on reaching the hill of God, 
probably Gibeah, where the Philistines had posted a garrison, he would meet a company of the prophets coming down from the high place with psaltery, tabret, pipe and harp, whose inspired strains would so affect him that he would join himself to them and be turned into another man. After the fulfilment of these three signs, he was to go to Gilgal, and there tarry seven days until Samuel's arrival to offer sacrifices and tell him what he should do. 1 Samuel 10 and verse 8. Then the two men parted. Each of the three signs came to pass, and God gave the son of Kish another heart. Convinced of his call to inaugurate the kingly period of Israel's history, his soul rose to the greatness of the occasion. The strains of the prophetic choir so wrought upon his spirit that he felt inspired to join them and his appearance in their society became the occasion of a well-known proverb. Is Saul also among the prophets? 1 Samuel 10 and verse 12. Meanwhile, Samuel convened all the people to Mizpah of Benjamin, and after again rebuking them for their want of faith in thus hastily seeking a change of government, bade them present themselves before the Lord by their tribes and by their thousands in order that the sacred lot might decide the election of the king. In solemn order, the tribes passed before him, and a lot fell upon that of Benjamin. Then the ceremony was successfully repeated with the clans, the families, the individuals, and in a manner that none could dispute, it was indicated that Saul, the son of Kish, was the object of the divine choice. But when search was made for him, he was not to be found. Still unwilling to accept the arduous duties of the kingdom, he had concealed himself in the circle of baggage round the encampment at Mizpah. The search was renewed, and he was brought forth from his hiding place. As he advanced into the midst, his exalted stature struck the spectators with admiration, and a universal shout of long live the king betokened the nation's acceptance of its new head. 1 Samuel 10 verse 24 Left to themselves, the Israelites would doubtless have stood committed to the new form of government without pausing to insist on any conditions from their ruler, well content if he proved as absolute and irresponsible as those of the nations round about. But the far-seeing Samuel was wiser than they. Well knowing the bearing of the transactions of that day on the nation's future, he not only expounded to the people the manner of the kingdom as set forth by their great lawgiver in the book of Deuteronomy, 17 verses 14 to 20, but for the sake of greater security, committed the regulations thus accepted to writing and laid them up in safe keeping before the Lord and thus, under divine sanction and amidst the despotisms of the East, arose the earliest example of a constitutional monarchy. This ceremony concluded, the people returned to their homes and Saul retired to Gibeah. Though his elevation had been thus formally approved, there were not wanting those who, on the score probably of the obscurity of his tribe and the fact that his capacities were as yet unknown, expressed much dissatisfaction at his promotion, questioned his ability to rule them, and brought him none of the usual presents. 1 Samuel 10 and verse 27. With rare self-control, however, he held his peace and in a short time was enabled to justify the confidence that had been reposed in him. While living in retirement at Gibeah, he received intelligence which roused all his martial ardour and for the first time revealed his talents as a military leader. The Ammonites, 
recovered from the defeat they had sustained from Jephthah, had, under the leadership of their king Nahash, laid siege to Jabesh-Gilead. See Judges 21 of verse 8. The inhabitants of which place and their terror invited the heathen king to make a covenant with them and agree to serve him. This, with characteristic haughtiness, he declined, except on the condition that he might put out their eyes and thus render them unfit for further military service. In this strait, the elders of the place requested seven days' respite, and meanwhile sent messengers to their brethren imploring assistance. Saul was driving his herd homewards from the field when the sound of wild lamentation in his native town revealed the danger which threatened the friendly town of Jabesh-Gilead. Immediately, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, 1 Samuel 11, verse 6, filling him with courage and resolution for the emergency. Taking a yoke of oxen, he hewed them in pieces and sent his war token throughout all the tribes, summoning them under pain of eternal disgrace to rally round himself and Samuel and hasten to the rescue of their brethren. He then bade the messengers return to Jabesh-Gilead with the assurance of succour, before the sun was hot on the morrow. His determined spirit quickly communicated itself to others, and 300,000 from Israel and 30,000 from Judah gathered round him and the prophet. Bezek, a place apparently within a day's march of Jabesh, was appointed their headquarters, and thence dividing his forces into three companies, Saul executed a swift night march and burst upon the Ammonites in the morning watch, who, panic-stricken, by this unexpected onslaught, were defeated with enormous loss, so that not two of them were left together. 1 Samuel 11, verse 11. This signal success had an instantaneous effect upon the people. The Israelites hailed Saul as the deliverer of their country, and even proposed to put to death those who had not at first acknowledged him as king. With continued self-command, however, he calmed their zeal, and declined to stain with innocent blood the memory of a day on which, as he said with becoming modesty, not he but Jehovah had wrought salvation in Israel. At this juncture, the new ruler, having been tried and not found wanting, Samuel suggested that the people should once more repair to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. Accordingly, after the sacrifice of peace offerings and amidst great rejoicings, Saul was solemnly inaugurated in his regal functions, while Samuel embraced the opportunity afforded by so large a gathering to bid farewell to the people he had ruled so prudently with all his power. 1 Samuel chapter 12 He had hearkened, he said, to their voice, he had made a king over them. For himself, he was old and grey-headed. He had walked before them from his childhood unto that day. Let them now testify if they had aught against him, had he defrauded any? Had he oppressed any? Had he taken any bribe to blind his eyes? If so, he would make ample restoration. With one voice, the whole people bore witness to the integrity and uprightness of his public life. Then, like Moses and Joshua, he gave them his parting counsels, and after exhorting them by the memory of past mercies and past deliverances to cleave fast to the Lord and not forsake his commandments, called on the Lord himself to ratify his words by an outward and visible sign. It was the season of wheat harvest, when thunder and rain seldom or never occurred. But at the word of Samuel, the sky became black with clouds, the thunder rolled and the rain fell, bearing witness to the solemnity of the prophet's warnings. 
who, having thus bidden farewell to the people, henceforth retired from any share in the government, which now devolved on Saul alone. End of Book 8, Chapter 3 of A Class Book of Old Testament History by G. F. McClear Recorded by Cliff Stone of Sydney, Australia